good unspecified time period on some sort of calendar. It could be day, could be night, depends where in the universe you are. Welcome to Richard and Carl Present Deep Space and Dragons. I'm Richard. And I'm Carl. And uh, we're here to just have a casual conversation about whatever nerdy topics catch our attention. Today's topic is primarily the 2021 release of Dune Part 1. Dune. So, casual spoiler tag. So, if you would like to watch this video and are mildly concerned we'll be spoiling a remake of a movie that's older than me, you have three <laughs> options available. First, see it in the movie theater if it's safe and you're comfortable to do so. Second, mm. watch it on HBO+. Plus. Third, just casually read half of a 500-page novel. Uh, according to most of the reviews that I've read, it's about two-thirds of the novel. Also, I do wonder how many pages of the novel are taken up by the glossary. I mean, that is some respect there. But, before we transition it into things... Actually, no, I'm not going to ask what's new in the Carlverse this week. I have a pretty good idea. So, instead of what's new, I'm going to ask you something pseudo-random. Not a random question of the day. But here's mm -hmm. my question for you. If you had to choose between living on an ice planet, a desert planet, or a jungle planet with giant spiders, what would you pick? An ice planet, a desert planet, or a jungle planet with giant spiders? Yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, you've given me the most information about the jungle planet, um, and I feel like uh, if I am living on this jungle planet, I'm not living there alone, and so there has to be some society of people who have tamed the jungle spiders and used them to traverse the jungle. Uh, and that just sounds way better than being too hot or too cold all the time. Fair enough. Uh, well, what would your choice be? So it's the classic, if you're cold, you can put on clothing, and if you're hot, you're kind of hosed. So I survived mm. a day where my left eye froze shut on the walk to school, and it was technically warmer on Mars that day. You know, because Saskatchewan is basically the ice planet. So I think I'm going to pick the ice planet because I have the experience. And here's the thing about giant spiders. Just because you know you're there doesn't mean the spiders didn't win. And now they're the only thing on the jungle planet. Ooh, yeah, you're right. I did not think about the possibility of a apocalypse. All right. So to pivot into Dune with this beautiful book cover that you can look at in any direction and it spells, spells Dune. That actually came up in one of my design classes recent, as recently as last week. Because, huh. yeah, it's just three O. It's like they literally just spell out Dune with a bunch of U's. Huh. So, I did not know that. One thing that was fascinating as we went through Dune together mm -hmm. is I cannot... Uh, how can I put this? What was the word I used? Like, source amnesia, where when watching Dune, you feel like you've seen it already because so many things had successfully ripped it off? <laughs> uh, something like that. Like, um, the, the original book was written in, in 1965. Uh, so, um, it's, it's pretty hard for any sci-fi after 1965 to not use, at least use one idea from... Uh, what is probably the most popular sci-fi book of all time at this point. Like, one thing I, that really struck both of us was Spice. So, 
The premise of Dune largely evolves around spice, commonly known as space Adderall, or space cocaine. Not commonly known as I'm, I'm pretty sure they, I'm pretty sure they have a real name for it. Uh, I, I don't have a copy of Dune handy, so I can't look it up in the, in the, the glossary. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it, it does have an actual name that's not just spice. Amusingly, I do have a copy of Dune on my desktop right now, a legally acquired PDF of it, and it is Melange, <laughs> the fictional drug. Is called Melange, or Spice, ah, yes, which most commonly known in the extended Dune universe spinoff called the uh, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Spice running is a competent way of any space show ever. The drug is spice. Han Solo uh, was a spice runner from the spice mines. Well, and then uh, the the uh, episodes seven, eight, nine trilogy, uh, Poe. Uh, is the same actor that pay, plays the Duke of Atreides. I think you got it. Uh, and uh, first things first, Poe in the Star Wars universe was also a spice runner. And second thing second, uh, the Duke, <laughs> uh, they because he was the same actor, they just decided that he uh, actually wanted to be a pilot and royal nobility. But when his father died, he was you know, forced into the into the noble lifestyle. So I do definitely love the run, running idea that any uh, space western, which I do, I do believe Dune is the more accurate origin of the space western, because mm. even though space western implies cowboys, taverns, pubs, the desert planet is the most common place for the space western to be. And the concept of you're wearing your cloaks and your kind of steampunky outfit on the desert planet while there's an evil empire, typically. I feel like Dune gave us the space western. Uh, well, I mean, most of the articles that I've read have described it as a spice opera. <laughs> I love that. Also, I feel but... like also disclaiming that I very much enjoyed this version of Dune. I enjoyed it. I, I also found it super enjoyable. enjoyable. But uh, there was one... Um, particular uh, plot device. Uh, I mean, character. Uh, so, spoilers, as mentioned at the start of the episode. Uh, <clears throat> Dr. Yue. Uh, he is the uh, the Asian physician for the royal family of Atreides. Uh, and uh, wouldn't you know it, he happens to be an evil Asian doctor that betrays them. So, after you brought this up, the idea of using that incredibly troublesome trope in the movie, I felt the need to go into the original book to find the actual description of the character. Because mm -hmm. as a writer myself, flex, buy my book, that'd be great. As a writer <laughs> myself, I specifically made sure to not put in mentions of race. I used hair colors, eye colors, mm -hmm. occasionally used face structure, body structure, but never in a way where you could figure out a character's race. To the point mm -hmm. where I've received fan art of the same character, Siora, and one piece of the fan art was Irish, and the other one was African. Both mm. are equally canonically true in my brain. Actually, to be <laughs> fair, I it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, I kind of like both of these. I actually think I like the second one better, but was not what I was visualizing at all. But this is great. This would probably mm -hmm. go on the book jacket if I put characters on my book jacket. <laughs> But in the description of... First off, Dr. Yue sounds like an Asian name. 
His hmm. first name is Wellington. <laughs> I, I feel the need to point out that when reading the original book, they describe his hair color and his eye color. And he's described as gaunt. That's it. But another article, when I looked it up, immediately pointed out that they finally cast it in the remake to match their imagination and acted like it was an act of inclusivity. Well, one of the, one of the things I find the most interesting about this particular uh, point here, uh, and it doesn't ruin the movie by any stretch of the imagination. I, I mean, unless you're actually genuinely offended by the stereotype. Which is uh, actually kind but, of fair. But uh, in the book... Uh, there's an entire plot arc about how uh, this particular doctor was basically brainwashed to not be able to harm anyone. Uh, and then he has to try and figure a way to get around his brainwashery to to, to get his revenge uh, on the guy who, who, uh, who kidnaps and kills his wife. Um, and it's like that, that character had a lot of, of depth, uh, which was then completely reduced to the evil Asian doctor stereotype. And what's fascinating is because movies have a bad habit of whitewashing. Freely admit that. Mm. If you've seen Avatar The Last Airbender, that is mm -hmm. one thing that does as much damage to your eyes as bleach. Either the paper <laughs> cuts or the chemical or the manga. Mm -hmm. So I fully understand wanting representation in movies. I am a pretty active champion of it, honestly where I honestly mm -hmm. don't believe a character's race affects the character. So if you want to literally just roll the dice to give a better range of representation for characters, does not ruin my enjoyment of a movie. And for mm -hmm. a movie set 7,000, sorry, 8,000 years in the future, the statistical odds that we'd even have race in a recognizable form as it is today are practically zero. Right. You know, from evolution genes passing through, intermingling of populous groups, traveling to space among the stars. So to end up with an Asian mysticism acupuncture doctor in the year 10,000 is insane. <laughs> uh, yeah. <clears throat> I, I, I definitely agree. Like I say, um, if I were going to point a, a weak point out of the movie, I think that particular character... Uh, might have deserved a bit more screen time and a bit more depth before the before the betrayal because it, it is very reductive of the character and he becomes a, a plot device to move the story along. But by the same token, uh, the book is incredibly dense and the movie, while only two-thirds of the original book, is still a two-and-a-half-hour movie with a ton of content and some very beautiful cinematography. Hashtag release the Snyder Cut. <laughs> I mean, one thing I saw, because I don't have a ton of experience of the original Dune. I think I once watched it once as a small child, and I only remember sandworms. Mm -hmm. But I did watch an honest trailer of the original movie. And quite frankly, if you try to compress down all of Dune into a single movie, you just, it, you can't. You're dealing with a Lord of the Rings caliber book if not more densely packed, because it has such heavy concepts. But I will say one well, other flaw, because you can't review a book with or movie without saying something bad about it, or else you don't look as intellectual. So I also have to point out a flaw. 
And my flaw is I couldn't tell if it was 3D at the start because I couldn't tell with the sand whether or not it was supposed to be blurry. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know if it's the same in all, all movie theaters across the country, but my experience with movie theaters is, you know, you have the trailers and half of them are 2D and then they have a little animation that says, please put on your glasses. And then the other half of the trailers are in 3D. Uh, but this particular movie, um, all the trailers were in 2D and then it never warned us to put on our glasses. I, I, I wasn't even sure that the movie was actually starting. <laughs> and then all the sand is like, it's, it's all dusty. You can't tell if it's out of focus or not. And another thing that's like kind of hard to track because so the force is most definitely similar, but different to the vaguely established magic psychic premonition powers that our Gary Sue character had. Uh, just just as a, a side note, it's called the way. And the way of the force definitely gave you a situation <laughs> of it being difficult to tell if something was a flash forward or happening. But oh man, does it lead to a cool scene I cannot in good conscience spoil later. Because they use the vision to lure me into a false sense of security for something awesome to happen. <laughs> you know the one. Where future Aquaman... Who sends Aquaman to a desert? That was just a misplay. The strategic value <laughs> is so lost sending Aquaman to fight in the desert. Uh, you know, Jason Momoa is definitely definitely not typecast. Uh, but... <clears throat> Aquaman being one of the best DC movies that's been released in a long time. Uh, definitely, uh, everyone, we're, we keep calling him Aquaman, even though it's like Desert Planet. He's clearly not Aquaman. He's just a badass. No, you see, my head is he was Aquaman, but it never came up because he was on a desert planet. <laughs> he also, like, he did a fantastic job in Stargate Atlantis. So he is very hmm. similar in character. He played, well... He was Ronin the Runner in Stargate Atlantis, where jumping from planet to planet, being hunted by aliens for sport. He had a sword in a Stargate show and was the only guy to ever actually flex that. <laughs> so they let him be an equally badass <clears throat> character in this. And yeah, like as for our protagonist, though, as I mentioned before, the notion of the Mary Sue character in Star Wars The Force Awakens, where... One of the toxic arguments, because if you talk about Star Wars, it just devolves to toxicity, is, is it bad to have a Marian character that's magically good at everything? Where the plot of this, pro one of the subplots in this was definitely the main character was literally magically good at everything. Mm -hmm. So my thought, question to you then, my co-host friend, is mm -hmm. what were your thoughts on the protagonist of this movie? Because there were so much things I enjoyed going on that I have mixed feelings about. The most... Well, what was even his name? I'm drawing a blank on the name of the protagonist of this movie. Uh, his name was Paul. That's probably why. Not Paul a, a with no apostrophes, no umlauts, just Paul. <laughs> just just Paul. <laughs> um, so, I mean, the character has, has uh, royal uh, status. Um and uh, so it's it's very clear that he has you know access to massive libraries to learn a lot of things that he's supposed to be studying and they make clear like he he trains with Jason Momoa who uh well is awesome. he is he's just a beast uh but um so his his combat skill and prowess 
isn't necessarily uh, that unexpected, especially as compared to uh, like the native Fremen that live on on Dune. I mean, not to say that natives can't have uh, advanced forms of fighting or martial arts, but uh, their access to, to information and all the, the different training methods. Uh, I don't find it unreasonable that, that he was actually adequate as a as a combat, uh, as a combatant, I guess. Well, one thing to follow up on that is, the movie's kind of unclear because can you be native of a planet when we're a space-fearing race, or were the Freeman Fremen were just got to that specific planet first? Because humans didn't start out on Dune, to the best of my knowledge. Which the planet's not called Dune, but that's the name of the movie. <laughs> oh, I get it because of all the Dunes. Uh, but yes, <laughs> it's one of those things where they definitely highly implied that the main character had been training their entire life in space martial arts and had also mm-hmm. had magic psychic powers that are being trained on the entire movie. But I honestly like I think they did the best they could with what they were given almost because the Luke Skywalker character has never really been the focus of very many series for me. Like I can't think of very many shows in general. Where they make the best character the protagonist. Because you kind mm. of need somebody to explain the series to. Which is a role of most protagonists end up being is. They come off kind of like scatterbrained and dumb. So the other characters can explain the setting, plot, and characters to them. It, it is kind of interesting. Uh, this movie definitely did a very good job. Of showing instead of telling. All of the political background. Oh, I definitely uh, agree. Uh, like a lot, a lot of movies will just be huge exposition dump, and there's usually that one character that's the new guy that that he's just used to dump exposition to. But it's like, no, everybody in this movie knew what was going on, and it's like the Harkins, the enemies. Um, you know, the Paul is training with with uh, one of his combat mentors. And he's not really taking it seriously. And then the mentor, like, uh, pulls a move that would have killed him. And he's like, yeah, you know, you got to commit. You got to be going to be there because I have seen the eyes of our enemies and they are savages. And it it, it really, like, instead of just being like, oh, they're, you know, the bad evil bad guys. Could you imagine if Dune tried to do a Star Wars title crawl to catch everybody up? (laughs) (laughs) Title crawl. Oh man, title crawls are, are probably like the worst. The only time I allow title crawls is I appreciate title crawls between like between Star Wars Episode 5 had a solid title crawl because they just wanted to get to the action in res, right? So it's like, okay, so there's a time skip between these movies, so we're going to use a title crawl to explain the time skip as efficiently mm. as we can. Like, the title crawl wasn't terrible in that situation. Although, in uh, well, Star Wars Episode Nine, the title crawl was really, ooh, the main villain got revealed in a title crawl. Yeah, that, that was pretty awful. Apparently, I, I will say also, oh. um, Star Wars Episode Four, like, sci-fi had been around in print form for a while, the, a la Dune, 1965, where I believe the first Star Wars come out, came out in, like, 1984. I will be um, fact-checking, but continue. 
but so in terms of movie moviegoers and uh intelligent media consumption 77 wow i was way off still that's more than a decade for for a sci-fi oh, yeah. to be around in print but uh like when they were releasing movies uh they were going to release star trek a star trek movie and a star wars year and they decided to back off from the star trek movie because they figured there was wasn't enough space in the cinema scene for for uh two sci-fi movies yeah it's and now that... it's like half the movies we see are sci-fi well it's kind uh, of funny because like we have the hard side we have like sci-fi very often gets almost like br- broken into gritty and clean where star trek was mm. always a clean sci-fi things are working things are new things are shiny and sparkly and then mm-hmm. dune was the gritty sci-fi where you're you have your ornithopters, which kind of work. You have scratches and things. Your planet is cruddy. No one wants to live on it, but it has a valuable resource. Like, you could definitely watch Dune ripple through so many things. And mm-hmm. a lot of, like, the best sci-fi takes more from Dune than it does from Star Trek, in my opinion. Uh, but back to the to the title crawl bit, um, like, uh, audiences of the time were just unfamiliar with the concept of of sci-fi like moviegoers avid readers would would have had sci-fi for quite a while and i mean like isaac asimov uh is well i mean he's probably one of the most famous sci-fi writers of all time and i mean keep in mind doctor uh, who had been running for a while by the time the first star trek came a star wars got movied yeah um but so, like the, I find a title crawl to be a little bit more excusable for for a movie from that era, uh, where, like, people need a little bit more more setup in order to be able to enjoy the movie, uh, and that was a lot of content to try and show instead of tell. I will follow up with that. But too, then you cause... know, oh, go ahead. You you come to episode nine of Star Wars where they literally introduce the the main villain getting resurrected in a in a title crawl. And it was just... Another thing, too, is level of common concepts. Because when mm-hmm. we're watching Dune, there's a few things that popped up that we know from our going up, going up playing video games, playing Metroid. Metroid had a weird overlap, because I recently started Metroid Jed, Dread, as my co-host is aware. And thematically, mm-hmm. following after Z- Dune, in tone, they're very similar. Which is a weird <laughs> comment to make, but you feel me on that, right? I, I do. So what's interesting is, so the first shot at something like Dune, people aren't going to be familiar with a lot of sci-fi concepts. We've seen enough of now that if I say shields, you immediately think, yeah, a force field of energy projecting a physical object. Mm-hmm. You go back to the 60s, you're not going to know what a shield is and think energy before you think physical thing you hold in front of your face. The shields well, won't just and... be up. You won't just have a barrier. Uh, and then, then looking at the uh, the older version of of Dune, um, <laughs> the scene, scenes where they're using the shields and they look like Minecraft characters. <laughs> exactly. So, like shields, they didn't have to explain what the shields were. We instantly knew. Oh, we've been so trained by sci-fi that we even knew that the shield going from blue to red meant it was weakening. We just knew that intrinsically. There's no reason for you to not to think blue means full health and red means low health on a shield, except for decades of gaming. Uh, the shields are actually another co- cool instance of, of showing, not telling, uh, where 
um, <clears throat> most of the characters in the show use swords. It's sci-fi. Why aren't they using guns? Well, it shows very clearly that fast-moving objects get stopped by the shield, where slower-moving objects turn the shield red and go through, and you can actually hit people. Uh, so it was a both a convenient plot device to have a, a awesome, awesome sword fights, sword showdowns in a sci-fi future film, and then also like they just they showed it so elegantly in that training montage where they also you know <clears throat> let us know that the Harkins are, are savages. And oh, they did a great like the, job like using their runtime to get so much exposition out cleanly without slowing down the progress of the movie. Like instead and of without just... having that that exposition dump character that doesn't know anything because all the characters we're introduced to know these things. Well, it's kind of like we have the scene where he's being interrogated by the not Sith about his not Jedi powers, and it's like, put your hand in the box. I hold the needle to your neck, and they explained all of these characters and their motivations <laughs> so cleanly. But we're also watching an awesome scene. But I will say the Dune soundtrack doesn't have a quiet mode. Like, every single scene's like, this movie is epic and you will feel it in your bone marrow from the soundtrack. And I'm like, yeah, I, I feel it. You're right. You made an epic. It feels epic. The scope is epic. What I hate is when something puts a sci-fi label on and you're just the U.S. military with your current gear. In what is basically, you're just filming in a small town and you just write the word space on it. Like, I want laser guns. I want homing smart bullets. I like beam. I want beam shields. Like, oh man, but that's the thing is, part of why Dune works now is, for example, we go back to the '60s and the closest thing you got to a spaceship is a shuttle. Your brain's not instantly going to see a weird object without having to explain. Oh, this is a ship that travels through space. Right. Because they briefly mentioned maybe two lines that oh, spice allows interstellar travel, and your brain now has been trained by sci-fi to put in enough logical hoops to be like. Adderall makes brains smarter, used for math to calculate vectors to travel spaceships. Like, as us as viewers, we didn't need them to explain any more than drugs help space travel. Because we've seen enough sci-fi, like even The Expanse, which was a great show, very much enjoyed The Expanse. Where mm -hmm. they they would literally shoot you up with chemicals while you're doing high G turns so your body wouldn't explode. So we're right. not strangers to this point of the idea of using chemical enhancements to help with your sci-fi stuff. Right, right. Like, we're pretty familiar with opioids, <clears throat> tragically, at this particular juncture in our society, and can understand how wars would be fought over super opioids. Um, but one thing we haven't actually really touched on yet uh, are the giant worms themselves. So I which... still say they murder for fun, but go ahead and bring up your point. <laughs> well... Uh, this is something that, that applies across a lot more mediums than just, just film. Um, move, uh, games and movies like Monster Hunter, for example. Um, I I find it very interesting. It's it's easier to understand why writers are more, more capable of creating complex political systems than they are of creating complex ecosystems that actually make sense. But I really do wonder... Um, in this expansive desert, uh, what do the worms normally eat? Like, why, why, for a worm to be 400 meters long, like, that, that's like the size of the CN Tower. 
Shout uh, out to the CN Tower. Uh, but so, so it's, it's like, what does this massive animal actually do to, to sustain itself and create enough energy to, to for that much biomass? So my or theory... Like, oh. Well, I, I was going to kind of segue into Monster Hunter because, again, they have they have multiple giant monsters. Uh, but how do these giant predators not just completely destroy the ecosystem? So I have three thoughts on this one. So thought the first, because I've definitely had this conversation in depth with Panda, is the idea that because we're on an alien world in a fictional setting, the easiest way mm -hmm. to have giant creatures is there's just less gravity to start with. Mm -hmm. So you can have a giant... You can have a giant dragon fly if the gravity coefficient's lower. Right. Second is the oxygen content. A lot of creatures in prehistoric Earth were bigger when oxygen and food was more abundant. Right. So for these sandworms, my logic is that they're eating humans for the moisture and the fun of murdering them. Because <laughs> okay. the human body is 80% water. You don't need a ton of right. water to life form ratio for basic functions to exist on a worm. Worms do not need a mm. lot of water but they do need some right. water. As for their size, I like to think that the planet wasn't originally a desert, and the worms are the reason it's a desert, and they spend most of their time asleep, only waking up to sip water from the life forms. Plus, <laughs> in the 500-page book with 10 following books and glossaries, I think if we look it up, I think he's got you. I feel like our author here will have an answer somewhere in this text, and we just haven't found it yet. Uh, that is true. If any, if anybody does know more about Dune than either of us, please explain uh, the worms in chat. In. Actually, explain anything you want in the comments. I would love to see the comments and they explain the Dune worm physics. And call us like you amateurs. Clearly, they eat people so they can then channel their voice energy to create cellular structures out of sand. Please, I would love uh, it. I mean, so but um, the. Giant monsters and stuff like that—they don't necessarily break my suspension of disbelief. Uh, like I'm still willing to to watch a movie where a giant monster exists. I just low key always wonder, like scientifically speaking, the gravity is a pretty huge factor uh, in how large animals can actually get. Because, like, in terms of of being on Earth, we don't have any organic materials that can support their own weight beyond a certain size. So to follow up on that, so to get away of giant monsters in my own book, they're technically, most of their form is created by, basically I had to make up a magical particle and most of their body is actually comprised of this particle where they're largely hollow but their outer structure is crystalline and the energy they need to exist is largely siphoned from the planet's own life energy itself. So effectively my giant monsters right. get this big because they're basically a cancer on the planet. Mm -hmm. So in case of these worms, if you think of like the planet as a larger ecosystem, it's entirely possible that they're so big because they're almost the planet's natural defense system. Or like you were saying earlier, uh, they, uh, they could be the apex predator of the desert and they were so efficient at being an apex predator that they caused the whole rest of the planet to become a desert. Exactly. So as a perfect segue into our dragon question of the week, giant monsters into dragon <laughs> tracks out our question comes in what is your favorite animated dragon ooh 
Favorite animated dragon? Uh, are we talking like traditional animation or like 3D animation or both? I'm going to say both. Uh, I actually, I haven't actually seen the movie. Ooh, sorry. I'm going to stop you right there. It occurs to me that this is very similar to a question we've had before about animated dragons. So I'm going to lock you into CG dragons. Well, we have... I mean, oh. that, 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 that's all right with me because my, my response was going to be, um, I believe the movie was called Dragonheart, where, where Sean Connery was the, was the dragon. That is excellent. Uh, and the, the CG definitely, uh, I haven't seen the movie in a long time, so the CG probably has not uh, aged well. But I had some fond nostalgia for that movie. Uh, oddly enough, because I also love James Bond, so I was like, Sean Connery is a dragon. Oh, let's go see that. That's fair. So my default answer is to answer Toothless. But if we're going to like interesting <laughs> dragon movies, as this question just kind of mutated on us a bit, mm -hmm. I just feel like if it, see Dragonheart, I feel like if we had the technology as further away from being an animated and more being like a CGI dragon inserted into something. Mm -hmm. And if we're going on that topic, oh man, I loved how Reign of Fire was just post-apocalyptic dragon movie. Like <laughs> the idea of parachuting down with modern technology. Like I love when monsters just appear and completely destroy us. I love it. Mm. So having people parachute down with nets, jumping out of a plane, trying to catch a dragon to defeat them. That was beautiful. So that... if we're going just straight up movies that were added in with... Let's go... What do we call... Let's go with our new official term for this is... Live action CGI dragons will be this category. CGI uh, dragons yeah. made for live action. That way you, you can't just default to Toothless because, well, I mean, he is pretty much the apex dragon. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, if we're going for live-action CGI dragons, I mean, mm. they did a great job on the Charizard and Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Uh, not technically a dragon? Yeah, fair enough. So I'm going with the CGI dragons from Reign of Fire. <laughs> and until we get that live-action Metroid movie where it can be Ridley the Space Pirate Dragon. Oh, yeah. Ridley the Space Pirate Dragon. If we ever get a live-action Metroid, that that is a video game that deserves to be adapted into a movie. Absolutely. That Hash would be... That would be a great movie. I agree. And to follow up with that, our random question of the week... Buffering, buffering... <laughs> All right. Our question comes uh, up, I, if you could be the main character from any non-animated movie, who would you choose? The main character from any non-animated movie. Mm-hmm. Huh. Hmm. Note, if you just say a Disney movie because they did it both each time, I'll allow it, but I'll glare <laughs> at you a little bit. Uh, no, no, this, this category is so wide open. It's like, oh man, there's, what do I, then I, then I got to think of a main character and what they actually accomplished. And... It's kind of funny if you go with or... not animated to disclude if they're also animated, cause that just gets rid of every superhero. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, Superman's also animated. Batman's also animated. Captain Marvel's also animated. 
Uh, yeah. Well, okay. Well, I'll flip this on its head while I'm while I'm buffering myself. <laughs> uh, what what would your choice be? Uh, there, Richard. Bruce from Bruce Almighty is definitely a pretty solid option. Cause then I just get to be God. Like that's a pretty solid option. It's kind of mm. weird because as much as I love action, drama, tragedy. I kind of want to pick a character that would actually be good to be as a human being and not just, you know what? Nah, screw it. To heck with all that. I'm going to be Legolas. He's better than you. <laughs> he can jump. He can climb. He can swing. He can shoot. He can live for thousands of years. Yeah, no, I'm picking Legolas. That is a pretty solid character choice. Like, sure, you have uh, life and death battle, but most of his life's just chilling in vineyards being great. Uh, you know, I I wouldn't mind being um. This is this is gonna probably gonna be, uh, contentious choice, but uh, Jaden Smith from the new uh uh Karate Kid. <laughs> you know the funny part of that is because yeah, you also get to be Jaden Smith. Like I understand the point of a, it should be the Kung Fu Kid. He's learning the Kung, Kung Fu Kid. Like, I don't want to poke your hole full of your movie, because being that character, I see the rationale and I can get behind it. I'm not supporting that movie, but I'm supporting your choice as that character. Yeah, the the, the random kid that doesn't deserve to be as good as Kung Fu as they are, but they get a sweet secret master. <laughs> I mean, also with Cobra Kai on Netflix, like, Ralph Macchio in The Karate Kid is also a surprisingly legit thing, because he learned martial arts, and then he grows up to be a well-rounded adult with a wife and kids in a car dealership. Like, Ooh, I, I feel like it might have chosen the original Karate Kid if I had actually seen Cobra Kai. Fair enough. So, special thanks to our question submitters. They will enjoy their free digital copies of the Waltz of Blades Deluxe. And I also want to give a special shout-out to our supporters on Patreon, allowing our podcast to be on Spotify, Google Play, and all your podcast locations. Uh, yeah, thank you to all of our, our viewers and listeners for their support. Uh, enjoy your unspecified time between now and when you hear the next episode. And as a fun mini-game, anytime you watch a movie that's sci-fi, just try and figure out what they borrowed from Dune. <laughs> and with that, take care and watch out for sandworms. Bye. Bye.